Welcome to Safety Chats. Host Jason Stark, Director of Safety at Baldwin Safety and Compliance, shares decades of aviation experience and a passion for safety. Let's get started with this week's Safety Chat. Welcome back to another episode of Baldwin's Safety Chat Podcast. Yeah, we like to say that this is a podcast where just about anything could come out of my mouth. You know, just kidding. But we like to talk about anything safety, safety management related, or the things that help us or possibly do our job just a little bit better, a little bit more effective, a little bit more efficient. Do me a favor. Anywhere you listen to this podcast, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, if you could just go ahead down to that section below and mark it that you like it. Now, we're not asking you to lie, of course, but if you do like it, let us know. That would really mean a lot. And also, even if you don't like it or if there's things that we can do better, if there are better ways that we can serve you, let us know that too. We want uh, to make this podcast one of your main sources for safety and safety management information. The other day, I think I was talking to a colleague and something came out of my mouth that I never thought would. I said, I think I said it verbatim, I miss snow. You know, for the life of me, I can't even remember why I would say that, because that is the most preposterous thing I have ever said. I've said some preposterous things, but that one, that one ranked. A little background, I am from Chicago and moved down here to Houston, Texas, where snow is obviously rare. Being in Chicago, it was pretty commonplace, so, you know, snow every, every winter. Had to shovel that stuff, had to drive in that stuff. And one of the happiest times was before we moved down here was selling our snowblower and snow shovels, knowing that we were closing the door on that filthy chapter, which is snow, which makes it really surprising. That came out of my mouth the other morning. I had to quick sit here and ponder on it because it was a little disturbing. And, and I know I'm over-dramatizing this and, you know, snow's not that bad, okay? For those of you that like snow, there are times when snow are nice, like around certain holidays, it kind of adds to the ambiance. I mean, truly Christmas lights and palm trees are just a little weird, or it took a while to get used to. I love it now. When I want to relate this to what we do in the organizations, the one thing that I always really found fascinating about snow or after it snowed was looking at the walkways and pathways they'd be shoveled but invariably there would be another pathway or you could see other pathways you could see how people were behaving with walkways and seeing what the shortcuts were and we like to find the path of least resistance and that was so evident in snow i remember even on a college campus in northern illinois that had a great network of sidewalks but you would always see these paths outside of the sidewalks because people were finding a better way. So for whatever reason in these individuals' heads, and I probably partook in one of those shortcut paths too, the path that was laid out before them didn't make sense. It was too inefficient. It didn't get them to where they wanted to get quickly enough. Whatever the reason be, it was actually kind of neat to see that, well, they found another way. And what comes to mind to that is in, uh, if, if you guys remember, like, the original Jurassic Park, but the original with Jeff Goldblum, and he said, life finds a way. <laughs> that does come to mind for me because we find a way. Okay, so we've been talking about snow. We mentioned Jurassic Park. Where does that come in related to what we do in our jobs? And it comes to the fact that we to find a way. And if there are controls that we have in the organization that pose as an obstacle, that pose as maybe overburdensome, that they really slow down uh, production, that they really get in the way of us doing our job, people 
will find a way and they'll circumvent the control. And that alone is dangerous. So the controls that we have in place in our organization are, you would hope, put there for a reason. They're there to reduce risk through either, you know, reducing the probability of an event manifesting or obviously, you know, the severity of that. All too often, just like in the snow, we see people circumventing the controls. And I was talking to an industry colleague the other day, and we were talking about some things that they do in their line service and and, and wondering, are they really necessary? Are they overburdensome? Are they controls that are in place because it's always what's been? And we talked about this a little bit, and you know, we had to remind each other that safety management systems are not about over-controlling the workplace. They are not about that at all. And, and to think of it that way is kind of the wet blanket theory. The The viewpoint we get is that safety management systems are nothing more than uber restrictions. They kill the party and prevent us from doing anything. And, and that's not, that is not the case. Safety management systems are really supposed to give us the right controls and honor that balance between production and protection. And I think sometimes we miss that. So what we end up with are these bloated controls that result in the alternate pathways in the snow. You have people doing workarounds, you have people avoiding the controls, you have people not even abiding by the controls or shortcut. If that's your only control that's preventing a catastrophe from happening, you can imagine what's going to happen if it keeps getting circumvented. And as it keeps getting circumvented without any negative consequences, just by grace of God or luck or whatever it may be, People are going to keep circumventing that control and it's going to become normal until it pops and your organization has the failure. And um, that's, of course, where we don't want to be. It's upon us, I think, to help guide the organization in finding those controls. And we read some of the instructions in ICAO and in 59 specifically that make more sense in this context. So when ICAO is telling us, okay, we need to review our hazards and our handy dandy hazard log, hazard register, where we list our hazards and list the associated risks and the controls, we need to review that to make sure it still makes sense. And it's not meant to be an exercise to say, do we have enough <laughs> or whatever it may be, but it's meant to be an exercise in are these controls still effective, not only on the protection side, but also on the production side. If you have a control that is killing production, there's two sides of this. One, not only are you going to kill production, you're not being as, as efficient as possible, but like I said, life finds a way. If in our production mindset, we may run the risk of bypassing that control. And again, if that being the only control that can prevent risk between the human action and the end state being a negative outcome, then that could be problematic. As an example, talking to the individual the other day about the FOD walk. And both of us had been from the military and both of us had done FOD walks. And I was from the Air Force, he was from another branch. And sometimes there's a little bit of a brotherly love in there, a little bit of rivalry. But in the Air Force, at least when we did the FOD walk, we would take the time, we'd get the squadron together, and we basically, we'd walk as a line down the flight line and pick up FOD. What that turned out to be is that one big gaggle of people just talking to each other because like, okay, we're going to be walking for the next half a mile and you want us to be staring down at our boots saying nothing. Thing. And walking, well, that's not what happened. We, we just kind of gaggled and walked around and, and talked. In a stroke of brilliance, what the Air Force decided to do, at least the squadron, was they started or the Golden Bolt Prize. This is actually kind of funny. So what they did is they painted a bolt gold and they put it out on the flight line so that anybody who found it, you won a prize. You know, you won like a dinner at the, at the NCO club or, or whatever. And the idea of that was to engage people 
in that act of the fog walk. It just kills me that my squadron would have put FOD on the flight line so that we would find FOD. That, that makes me scratch my head. But the point is, you have to ask, well, is the FOD walk the best control? And I think it slowed down production because you had to get everybody together. It took like 20, 30 minutes. And that might not seem like a lot, but that adds up over time, especially when you do it two to three times a day. What they didn't realize is that part of our job is part of our shift. We were always looking for FOD. Our trucks had special magnets on them that picked up FOD. We're, you know, we're looking down around the airplane. I mean, we always check for FOD around the aircraft before it fires up. We had sweepers that would go before our first sortie along the taxiways. We were always looking for FOD and picking up FOD. Was this control really useful or is it bloated and was a killing production. So bypassing it in the military was not an option. It was something we had to line up and we had to walk. Now, were we effective at it? No. I can tell you that right now. We were not. And I'm sorry if any of my old sergeants are listening. But they were not effective and we didn't really pay attention. If we happened to stumble across the bolt, golden bolt, great. I will tell you there were five walks after we were done. Nobody found the golden bolt, which is a little awkward. In our organization, we have controls like that. And we have controls that are maybe overly redundant, maybe overly bloated, and are really killing efficiency. When it comes to this, I think we really have our jobs cut out for us. And this is why. First, identifying those controls. That's tough. We have to see where people are deviating around controls. And that's why when a person deviates and the organization punishes them and then fires them, it's like, well, you just lost a good opportunity there because why are they deviating? Why are they purposely going around what's meant to be there to protect them? That's the first challenge. We have to capture those. And we have to do it in an environment. And I know just culture, that's such a fan term that's being kicked around a lot, but there has to be justice there. There has to be this idea, I think, we want to learn from people's actions. I, I think we have to stop being cocked in the position of people being nefarious. I think we have to look at that we're trying to do the best job that we can, and if something's getting in the way of us doing that great job, then we're likely going to bypass it. So we need to find those controls, which is, I think, one of the big challenges. So we have to look at deviations. You know, we have to look for those lines in the snow of people walking around them. But we have to look at the control and then say, well, why? What is it about it that people are deviating? Is it really necessary? Is it something that is overly complicated? Is it something that doesn't make sense? Is it too onerous? to do. I don't know. There's a million reasons why people could be seeing that a control is not effective and going around it. I, we're not going to know unless we ask them. We have to ask the people. And that's where we we sit with our uh, experts, which are the people doing the job every day, and ask them, why? What is it about this? Why, why do you feel this is not necessary? The organization feels it's necessary, but why do you feel it's not necessary? I'm not faulting you. I'm not. I am really, truly curious. Why is this control not working? And now we're at a point where things can go a couple different ways, some harder than others. First, we're going to say, okay, do we need to fix the control? Do we need to demystify it? Whatever it may be. But do we need to make it simpler while it's still being maintaining its effectiveness? Do we need to make it simpler? Do we need to make it less restricting? Do we need to make it more accessible? We need to ask that question. What if it comes down to the question, do we even need it? Now we start getting into that spooky territory, I think. And that's where I think the coolest stuff is. Like the idea of this, uh, talking to my colleague, like the FOD walk. Do they even need the FOD walk anymore? Do we need some of the controls in the organization or are they there by tradition? I am not addressing regular 
regulatory controls or even asking the question, do we need to remove that? Those are off the table. But what I'm addressing are some of the controls that we may impose on ourselves or through best industry practices or from the notion of that's just the way we do things. But we have to ask that question, is this control even needed anymore? And this is, like I said, we get into really sensitive areas because we can't really go to leadership and say, you know what, don't need this. It's not you doing this any good. And it's kind of like removing that comfortable shoe. It's like, well, it's, it's always been there. Well, we really don't need it. Well, it's always been there. What's going to happen? The earth, the world's going to end if we take it away. Well, no, it's not. How do we do that? Do we just let it ride? Or can we show the case that the control is not needed? And I think we can, but that's going to take careful planning and management and specifically change management because we have to say we're considering removing this control. So we have to decide what is the control protecting against. We want to see if we remove the control, what can we measure prior to the high consequence, low probability factor? What can we measure prior to that to see if we remove that control, if we're still maintaining the same level of protection? So we have to find where we can measure if we're removing that control that's bloated to see that we're having the same level of protection. And that's absolutely what's key. So we're gonna need the data. But when it comes to change management, maybe we find a way that we can operate in parallel, one shift with the control, one shift without, and measure carefully. We don't wanna measure the outcome because, well, we don't want it to get that far. We wanna measure something in between that shows operations with that control, operations without that control. And not only are we gonna measure potential control failures, but also increases in production, if that's possible. But I think if we can measure this and go in with a plan, and then after the plan saying, this is what the data is. This is what we recommend. We can remove this control. We continue to measure here, here, and here to ensure that all is well, but then, then we remove the control. That, for some, is probably one of the scariest things they're going to do in life. That's why it has to be done very, very carefully. And I think it can. So I think with robust management of change, because you've really got to manage that change because you're taking away control, that this can be done. Now, I don't want some of you going away thinking I'm a heretic because I'm talking about removing controls. I'm not doing this willy-nilly. I'm not saying that that should be our sole focus in an organization. How can I get rid of the bloating and the fat around here? No, that's not what I'm talking about at all. I think it's fascinating that we're going to find controls that are causing people to circumvent them. When we look at it from that case, they're circumventing them. They're getting outside of the realm of protection of what that control was meant to do. So they're actually in more risk than if they were to go through that bloated control. So we have to find those and either adjust the control so that people can engage with it or remove the control if it's not needed and it's causing problems. And it's not an easy job, my friends. I will tell you that right now. And it's going to take some research. It's not an overnight thing, but it is definitely that juice is worth the squeeze. And we have earned our money when we've done that because we are honoring not only the protection of our organization, but the production. We as safety managers have to honor those two sides of the coin. In doing this and in finding controls that are not only creating deviations, but that are also killing production and be able to adjust them to honor both sides of that coin really, really, really does a service to your organization. And so that's all I got. Uh, yeah, I would love to hear what you guys think on this. I love the idea of the path of the snow and, and I want to get everybody on the path of safety and serve the organization. If you have any feedback at all, shoot us an email, let us know. I look forward to seeing you at the next podcast until then guys stay safe this podcast is brought to you by baldwin safety and compliance the leader in safety management for the transportation industry since 2004 baldwin has been providing state-of-the-art solutions and 24 7 support to the aviation and transportation industries baldwin's clients include all sizes and types of transportation operators 
Baldwin provides safety and related business services to commercial and non-commercial transportation operators, medical transporters, FBOs, MROs, airports, flight schools, UAS operators, firefighters, OEMs, ground transport operators, and others. Visit baldwinsms.com to discover how Baldwin can enhance your organization's safety program.